because you're jumping back into the gap. All right, hey, go. coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media on Twitter at Bball Immersion or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach is really excited today to have UCLA women's basketball coach Corey Close with us. And uh, Coach is going into her 10th year at UCLA. Uh, tons of success with uh, not just the program, but with player development as well, with a ton of players going into the WNBA, involved with the uh, American basketball program too, and a bunch of different things that way. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is like my favorite subject. Uh, so uh, I love to talk with and uh, coaches about player development and, and pouring into young people. So this is really fun for me. Thanks for having me. Well, it's exciting. We're going to get into a whole bunch of things in, in terms of player development. But uh, I wanted to start with somewhere where I think it's a big part of and often undervalued is the mental side of the game. Can you give us a brief overview of your program's mental performance development philosophy? <laughs> a brief overview. When, when does a coach ever do a brief overview? But um, I'm going to try. So I think the reality is, is that if I, I, I'd ask this all the time in home visits when I'm recruiting, if you ask any player or any coach, really, what percentage of the game do you think is mental? And they most of the time say, oh, 70%, 80%. I mean, it's all about the mental part of the game. And and I say, okay, I agree. And then I say, okay, the last time you uh, either coached a workout or, you know, did a workout, if I'm talking to a kid, um, how much of that did you integrate a mental training philosophy? And most of the time I have blank stares in return. And I, you know, and I don't think it's because they don't want to or don't believe it would help, but I think most people don't know how. And my, my overall philosophy is, is I, if I truly believe it's 75%, uh, you know, or whatever the case might be, then um, that might, that needs to be reflected in our workouts. That needs to be reflected in our entire teaching progression is the mental side. If I want to, we're introducing a new five out offense this year, right? And so I've planned out for the entire year, you know, depending on when we're going to be able to practice, how we're going to break that down, how it's going to be integrated, what are the teaching progressions? And I think the same thing needs to happen on the mental side of the game. So how do you, you know, how often are you going to teach it? Uh, from what angle? Um, what is it? What percentage is going to be off the court? How's it going to be integrated into drills? So in, in a nutshell, our philosophy is that we're going to treat mental training um, with the proportionality of its importance to our performance and which is high. And so our teaching progressions on the mental side of the game are going to reflect our value of it and how much it's integrated into everything we do. You, you mentioned a few and then you did a great job with the brief. Thank you. But we're going to dive because <laughs> we're going to dive deeper. And that's the whole point. And uh, I, you said so many things already that I want to dive into. But let's start with integration, because another traditional thing is that this is a classroom thing. But right. what you guys do a great job of is that you bring it to the court. Can you talk about the importance of integrating it into practice and games? Yeah, you know, I think that in order for it to be a, a really a skill, it has to happen that way. And so, and, and I'll be honest, you know, I, I knew that it was important, but like, I didn't know how to do that when I first started coaching, right? And especially as a head coach. So I enlisted help. Um, you know, I, I, I read some books. I got to know Joshua Medcalf. He started working with our team. Uh, he came to about at the beginning, 70% of his practices. And his biggest thing was not him coaching our players. It was him coaching me to how to integrate it in everything I do in my language and how I uh, hold people accountable, how I affirm things, doing it right. Um, and so I think that, you know, the biggest thing is you have to, you know, have some knowledge and some help. So I didn't know totally how to do it. another group that's been really influential for me is focus three and Tim kite and Brian kite. And they sort of have a, a, a curriculum, a system of E plus R equals O and, 
and how do you, what are the systems of, of strengthening your R, your response time, and how do you teach it, and what's your language, and getting to the edge. And so you'll hear all of our coaches using the same language. Just like I develop a glossary for terms of offense, I develop a philosophy of how we how we teach a growth mindset and how we teach mental conditioning. And there's a language that all of the coaches use and it's how we, um, how we score things is another thing that gets brought into is we really value um, getting better every possession. We talk about getting to the edge. The edge is when your talent runs out and you are forced to develop the discipline and the skill to truly reach your potential. And so we'll talk about, you know, getting to the edge and now your mental discipline has to kick in. You have to garner those things. And so um, I think there's, I think it's okay to not know how, um, but you know, number one, go, go, go read and I can give you books to start with. Number two, um, seek wise counsel. How do I integrate this? And a lot of the resources, even on the podcast of Focus 3, they're free. You don't even need to, you don't need to pay for those. And, you know, and I think that, um, and then develop a, a plan and talk about how it in, can be integrated through every single practice. Go over with our, we go over it with our staff and say, okay, how, are, how is it applying to this drill? How is it getting integrated in? And every Monday when we go over player development, we talk about every player's mental state as well as their skill state and what they need to work on. And then we evaluate each other on how we're carrying it through practices. Love it. And uh, so the one part you've said already a few times is this concept of planning. And uh, when, when I did my master's, and this is ages ago, and we, we spent time with this concept of periodization, yearly mm-hmm. planning, and it's not just physical, it's mental as well. And you've already touched on that. You've already talked about that. And that's something that people, again, don't necessarily connect the same way, that the same way you would teach a player a physical skill like a layup you would approach teaching a mental skill in a very similar way. Right. And, and also when your periodizations, right, you think about your body, like today's a hard day. Today's, you know, you, I want to tax the nervous system or I want to break down muscle and then build it back on other days. It's just the same exact way. And then you integrate on certain days. Maybe when you're going lighter physically, we spend more time on the mental side, you know, but we like, for instance, we spend every day, um, the first four minutes when we meet in the fill room on visualization and every player has their own. Now I granted in college, I have more resources from a video standpoint. I have a video team that helps me do this. Um, but we, we have our players watch themselves doing what they want to see more of. It's not a highlight film. It's if I want to find a player who's going to rotate quicker, um, playing, you know, to rotate quicker and help side defense and take more charges. I'm going to find the one time, even if it's our weakness, that I can catch them doing it right. And then I'm going to put that on their visualization film so that they, what you want to do in visualization is you want to train your mind and use your imagination to do, to help them see what you want to see more of. And so if I want them to read screens better, I'm going to see when they did do that or when their eyes were on their defender and they're going to watch that every single day. We start out with four minutes of visualization. Sometimes on days where our periodizations are, um, are physically, it's going to be lighter. We are even more, maybe we'll do more things from a mental side of that, you know, and then we always end days. We write in a what went well journal because we found that negativity is, um, is, you know, 10 times more powerful than positivity and when you have a negative loop in your mind, it's like the opposite of visualization. You actually are going to have a higher likelihood of repeating the mistakes. And what do most players do? What do most coaches do? As soon as they leave the gym, they're like, man, coach was so on me today. Why was my shot off? Oh my gosh, you know, like, man, I couldn't do anything right. You know, man, my confidence, you know, and they, they start doing their own negative visualization. So one of the things we do in our mental training is we write down before they leave the gym, 12 things that went well that day that were under their control so that we try to interrupt that mental loop negatively before they leave the gym. And we found that we've have a much higher likelihood of increasing and improving on the correct things. Love that. And uh, let's, let's talk about maybe a practical example, just to give coaches a connection between say something they would learn in a classroom and then some application of it in uh, a practice and game environment. And maybe you can offer one, but uh, something like a coping skill 
which are clearly important. An athlete's struggling. What is something that they can take from they've been taught and now they can apply? Well, there's a bunch of them, but a couple of them that come to mind when you say that is one is we try to help every player develop a refocus routine. So that might start in the classroom going, okay, where do you get off track? You know, what, what are your triggers? Cause we all have them coaches. We have them too. And, and honestly, I've tried to do this with myself as a coach, as well as with these players is so everyone, it's sort of like, you know, learned, it's sort of like that old stoplight analogy. So when you're having a green light day, like everything's flowing, you're in the zone, everything's on. Well, who cares? You don't need a refocus routine for that. But now ref makes a bad call. Coach is on you or yelling at you, or you miss three straight shots or whatever your triggers can be and helping student athletes and, and develop. Okay. I feel uh, the awareness. Number one, okay, here are some triggers here. I'm not totally um, dialed in and present um, with what is needed for me right now to be my best. So what do I, what do I have to do to refocus? And so first of all, it's the awareness that you're not present, that you're distracted. And then it's the tools to go, okay, in my mind, sometimes it's for some players and it's different for every player, but it's helping them develop these in advance so that when I do create those adverse environments and practice, which we want to do, they can practice those. So, you know, so for a couple of our players, it's really um, talking to themselves rather than listening to themselves. And they literally practice talking out loud to replace some of their yellow light thoughts. And so the goal is to, to prevent yourself from getting to red light, which is a complete shutdown. We've all seen that with our players where you can just tell there's nothing they're going to be able to receive or turn once they get into that red light state. So that's something in a classroom that we do with every player that we try to help them understand and work through in advance and continue to revisit what those refocus routines are. And then we try to make it really hard in practice. So they have to practice those, you know? And so sometimes on purpose, all, you know, they're playing against our guys and all of a sudden it's five on six, the guys team has six players or, um, maybe I change the score. Maybe I purposely have really bad calls. Um, maybe it's fatigue, you know, trying to get them that fatigue is just really challenging their mental state. Or I really start to get on them when I know some of their individual triggers and get them to try to um, get to that edge and apply it in that moment. You know, um, another thing I actually stole this from Mike Neighbors is every player, uh, the players get um, three timeouts on their own in practice and they're 30 second timeouts, but they can call them. And one of the, the principles of refocusing is pause, gain clarity and ask yourself, what does this situation require of me? And that sounds really, you know, uh, in the book, um, uh, it takes what it takes neutral behavior. A simpler way of saying it is what's my next right behavioral step. You know, how do I get to neutral and go, what's my next right behavioral step I have to make? And they can call those. So here they can say, okay, we're going down, you know, just like I can call a timeout in a game and try to stop the run. They're trying to stop the mental, you know, decline. And so that's, that's one is helping them develop refocus routines and then developing a, uh, a system and practice where they know they are practicing those routines. Um, that's one for sure. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called the ice is right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. That one's tremendous in particular. I mean, this thought stopping, it was called parking for me. Uh, when you, you like you do something even conscious and I'm glad you brought that up because all learning has to be conscious before it's unconscious. So right. this process of say you clench a fist and then you let go. 
-hmm. you're throwing it away or you're throwing away the mistake. And then the other part that you said, which I, I'd love for you to give some more examples is these no mistake days or these intent, this intentionality on your part to trigger your players. So they have to work on their mental skills again, just the same as physical, right? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's just um, one of the things that I've found that I read a great book um, this last year called rare leadership. And it really is a, a it's scientific and relational at the same time. And, and they studied great learning environments in schools, in teams, in business organizations, and where they saw really rapid rates of improvement. Um, there was uh, two characteristics were present. There was joy and struggle in the environments where the most improvement in growth took place, whether it's a company, a corporation, a team, a classroom, that those two parameters were very uh, consistent, that there was joy and struggle. And so I've really tried to apply that from a mental side um, to our practices. It's at the top of every practice plan. Um, you know, that my job as the head coach is to create joy to, um, and struggle. And so part of that struggle is, is bringing adversity, you know, and, and part of the edge, and we call it uncommon choices as well, is how can you just like invite that? Like, let's make this harder. Let's go past the line every time. I remember a story, Jordan Canada, who now plays for the Seattle Storm, um, she, uh, I asked her before the year, what are some of your uncommon choices going to be? What are going to be some of the the things that are hard that you're going to just go, man, forget that. I'm not going to the line. I'm going, I'm busting way through it. And she gave herself um, about five uncommon choices, um, ways in which she was going to go to her edge where her talent couldn't carry her. She was developing a whole new level of focus and skill that needed discipline through toughness that would to, to get. And one of them was really simple that she was going to try to win every sprint by going three feet past the line. So, you know, on the baselines, if you run a sprint, there's usually that big baseline um, color, right? And so instead of going to the edge of the front, she goes to the edge of the back and then she wins every sprint. That was one of her uncommon choices that she was going to make. And it was so amazing. She never said anything, but every WNBA coach that came and watched practice that year they noticed it right away, you know? And so, and every single time, one of the other ones that she did is she was going to every pass in a non um, game five on five situation was going to be with her offhand and it was going to be a zipper, you know, like, and so like every WNBA coaches were going, okay, why, um, why is she doing that? Well, that wasn't just a physical skill to work on her offhand passing. It was putting herself in situations where she had to, focus on a weakness, do things that were hard and embrace that choice because she wanted to be different. She wanted to get to the edge. And so I think working through, and, and the more the player owns that, the more you work through it with the individual and they choose it, now the more ownership, the more they're having a conscious choice, right? And then it becomes an unconscious habit because they do it over and over again. And we, we have a phrase, we never get tired of doing it right. So the other part that I want to highlight that you've said a number of times is the specificity that again, mental skills are no different than physical skills. Certain players need different things, right? Some players need a hook shot in the post and some players are right. much more effective driving from the perimeter. It's the same thing that players have their own individuality when it comes to their needs. So I'm wondering, first of all, do you teach it as a whole and then get more specific as you go through after they have this base foundation? Is that how it's presented to players? Correct, yeah. So we'll give a basis. Every player in our program, when they come in as a freshman, read the book, uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water by Joshua Medcalf. And this last summer, we all wrote, um, did together, we've made a huge commitment this summer um, to mental conditioning because we couldn't be together. So we said, hey, we can invest in this other part. So it looked, has looked a little different this last summer, but. Um, but every player has sort of a baseline. And then we, we sort of reteach the basics in the whole. And then we start breaking it down into individuals and how it affects individual play. It's sort of like my philosophy with skill development. We have proficient skills that apply to everyone. Then we have uh, advanced skills that are a little bit more positional. And then we have elite skills that we say, okay, what's going to be your elite skill that you're going to be better than everybody else. And so it starts with the baseline of all those proficient fundamentals that always get done. Um, and then as we progress, it gets a little bit more individualized and practical to that person's 
um, skill set, but also their weaknesses and also where they are in their own mental development. And they all have different things. They have, they have different strengths mentality wise and different things they'd like to um, turn from weaknesses to strengths. So yes, that's exactly what we do. We have a baseline sort of curriculum that we have developed through the years that uh, every group gets. And then it becomes a, a very, very individualistic at that point in helping every player reach their potential from the inside out. Well, it still amazes me how few times I've heard about this type of develop program for mental skills development within major programs. Again, some of it's resource-based and we're going to talk about that later, but where was some of the influence for you to be able to develop this? Well, I think that part of it, I'm sure was not a very good athlete as a player. That's where it started, (laughs) you know, as, as a player for me, like that was everything. Um, you know, to be an incredibly fit athlete and to be more mentally strong, I could control both of those things. And that made up for so much that I lacked in physical ability. Um, and so I always sort of had a passion. My father was a, a teacher and a coach and he was a psychology teacher. Um, and so, you know, I think I had a baseline for that, that I understood the power of the mind. Um, but, you know, I think the longer you coach, um, you know, we all talk about the same things. We just don't all respond the same way. And, and I had very influential conversations. Uh, you know, I've been doing this 27 years and we're always in the summer with, with non-pandemic summers. We're watching recruits and we're on the baselines or I'm, I'm having conversations with, you know, high school coaches and it's all the same. I'll say, you know, oh, hey, how was your year? You know, tell me about what, and they always, if, if it was positive, they said two things oh man, our team was really mentally tough this year. Or, and the second thing they say is we have, we had really great leadership, man. Our leaders did a great job. And then I always followed up with, or the converse is true. Oh man, this year was so hard. I just didn't have any leaders and man, my team was so weak and so, you know, mentally weak and we just weren't tough enough. You know, we just didn't have the it factor. I hear that. And I always say, well, you know, how did you respond to that as a coach? What did you do to work on it? Like, cause I'm trying to get new ideas. Right. And almost always, I mean, 90% of the time I was getting answers. Like, I just think you're a leader or you're not, or I just think you have it or you don't, or, you know what? And, and I just thought, man, that's, that's a fixed mindset in my mind. Um, that's like the world happening to you. And I'm like, just not willing to, I'm not willing to live that way. And one of our three core values in our program is a growth mindset. So I was like, mm, that's unacceptable. So then when I, when I became, and I had some great role models in this and people that I coached with and played for. Um, but I think that when I became a head coach, I was like, well, we are going to have, if leadership and mental conditioning are two of the biggest indicators of a team's success, we are going to have a plan for those. And we are not going to rely on they have it or they don't, or we just didn't have that or they don't. I'm going to recruit to it. I'm going to teach to it. I'm going to reward it. I'm going to hold people accountable for it. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to teach it. If those are two big, huge indicators, we aren't leaving those things to chance. Well, they either have it or they don't. It's such a fascinating thing for a coach to say, because inherently our job as coaches is to obviously improve players, help them grow and help them develop. And we do that so much from a standpoint of obviously technical and tactical. And to be able to say that they have no ability to be able to grow beyond themselves is a shocking statement, isn't it? Well, but do you think, I mean, haven't you heard a lot of coaches say that? Oh, I'm telling you, it happens. And it's 100% true that coaches say it. It's just still fascinating to me that they would think that way based on their belief that they can change players from a physical standpoint. And definitely we can from a mental. So maybe talk about this, coach, because mental toughness, you mentioned, people throw this or, oh, we just got to be mentally tougher. But too too often we don't define what that actually is for our players. Mm -hmm. What does that actually mean for you and your program? Well, I think collectively it's uh, choosing discipline over default. I think we all um, have, if we're left to our own devices, we have some habits or some default that we go to, right? And I think scientifically, when you do research on it, it's very clear. Um, we'll choose comfort or, you know, and I, and I remember a really clear story. My friend John Gordon told me that he was talking to uh, – a guy who's done more double man triathlons than anybody else, a du- double Ironman triathlons than anyone else. And those are uh, one Ironman triathlons, ridiculous. Doing a double back to back is insane. 
And, and John asked him, how, how have you mastered this? I mean, you had to have wanted to quit. You had to have wanted to shut down on many occasions in doing these Ironman triathlons. And he said something I thought was very indicative. And he said, you know, um, he said it to John. He said, I have mastered the craft of talking to myself rather than listening to myself. Translation that, you know, his default mode, he's no different than anyone else. He wants to quit. This is hard. Like, you know, mile 25 is no joke when he's running after a mile swim and, you know, a bike ride and all of those things that, um, but I think that that's really what it comes down to in terms of choosing, I think, mental discipline, mental toughness is choosing discipline over default. And, you know, that we know that we're going to want to quit. We know that we're going to want to choose comfort. We know that we're going to uh, battle, um, battle confidence, um, you know, whatever the fill in the blank. And that that just never is going to stop there. We know those things are going to come and we're going to learn to tell truth to the, some of those lies that you're telling yourself. We're going to learn to talk to ourselves and replace those thoughts. We're going to learn to get to neutral um, mentally, when we feel those things coming on, when they, we feel those default choices, and we are going to choose discipline or the next right behavioral step, in spite of knowing those default things are going to come in. And so I think it's just, it's constant, right? That's the overall thing is that you know, if you want to be a mentally tough athlete, you are going to have the choice every single day to choose discipline or to choose default. And the more that you create that choice as a habit, the more mentally tough you're going to end up being. Well, I love that. Like normalizing the struggle and normalizing this process that this is not unique to someone special. No. This is every human on the planet goes through this process. Right. And you, you don't want to shame anyone for some of those doubts that you know are going to happen to anyone. And I think sometimes people don't get men more mentally tough because they're too afraid to, to tell the doubts or the struggles or the default things that they're individually uh, embarking on, even though we all have them. And so I think the key is, not only to normalize them, but to um, to equip them and sort of to bring them into the light. Like, you know, hey, this is okay. We all have them. Um, and so they're not only are they normalized, but they also don't have to be paralyzing because there's tools and ways that you can uh, choose discipline and replace the lies with truth. So the triathlon example, the way it was phrased to me a long time ago was, it, it say I have a 20 minute workout that to not approach it as I have a 20 minute workout, but I have a one minute workout 20 times. Right. right? And the, to normalize that to say, okay, it's really only one minute. And then mm -hmm. it's 19 times, one minute, right. 18 times and that type of thing. And to be able to put it in manageable parts for your athletes. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know um, you know, one of the things that too is, is, is trying to think of everything as an opportunity to learn and grow. That is a, growth mindset. So every challenge, man, this is awesome. We're, and this is one of the language things that Joshua talked about. Um, he, when he first started watching our practices and let's say we were doing something with fitness. Um, he was also someone who didn't think he believed to try to minimize fitness as a punishment. Fitness is an opportunity to develop discipline. Uh, and so, you know, that uh, he, when we were running a sprint, he would always say to me, you know, um, Hey, let's get better. Let's have a quicker change of direction here. Not let's make your time, you know, let's what, you know, and how can you try to change the language that, Whoa, man, you just got a little turn. You got your turn got quicker right there. You know, like, Hey, how can we get, get better today? Let's get better, get better instead of survive instead of let's just get through it. And all of our language is about developing discipline. All of our language is about giving to each other, being a great teammate, and uh, growing that day, both of which are completely under your control, and both of which are the actual process of what gives you the equipping to choose discipline over default. So, you know, I think language is such an important piece of embracing those things and making sure that you're reinforcing the right directions. Because I know I wasn't, and I had to have someone exposing me when I was actually reinforcing the wrong direction, some things I didn't know. This is tremendous stuff. And uh, maybe let's get to this piece because I think this is a barrier for coaches, especially is this concept of building accountability, toughness, competitiveness, however you want to define it without being demeaning that you can create this type of discipline within your program without being demeaning to players. Uh, it's such a great point. 
you know, I always use Coach Wooden as the ultimate example. I mean, he won more than anybody else. So don't tell me that when I don't fo- when I focus on the process that I'm not competitive. It's, that's not true. I think it's the ultimate competition to hold yourself accountable moment by moment, as your analogy, that one minute doing it better than anybody else, to do the simplest things at the most elite level with the most consistency. That's like ultimate competitive nature, right? Um, Because you're competing with the ultimate competitor and that's yourself. And so um, Coach Wooden talked about winning the least, but he won the most because he was so consistent and elite in his process, but he didn't lower the standard. I mean, that's the whole thing is that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, good try. You know, everyone gets a, everyone gets a ribbon. It was never like that. It, the standard of excellence was so high. He would ask, was that your very best? Well, if it wasn't your very best. It wasn't acceptable. Um, but he, he, ta- he won the most with, with talking about winning the least. And I think that that's what's so important is that um, you can, you can, you don't have to lower the standards to, uh, um, and you don't have to be demeaning to have an incredible amount of incredible habits of excellence. You've talked about this a little bit, but I want to give an example that for you to talk about too. And that's when we talk about adding challenge, adding these different situations, we can look at a physical drill and let's say three man weave at some point, they're going to be able to do three man weave mindlessly with no effort. And now it's your job as a coach to be able to load that drill with more challenge so that you create these desirable difficulties so that your players struggle it's the same process for you dealing with these players from a mental standpoint, right? At some point they're going to get comfortable and you have to make them uncomfortable. Well, and I think that's the whole thing is that I don't see it as different. So every physical challenge is going to have an opportunity to embrace the mental side of that. Right. So I think you give a great example. So we have a drill, a series called the three on O series. So it has to do with, um, you know, there's um, side center, side center, there's three person weave, there's, uh, we call it create a side and then rush. And so, you know, we, and it's uh, four and a half minutes, and they can have um, three or less fumbles, misses, mistakes, lack of talking, that's a mistake, poor angle, that's a mistake, way bad pass you know, a miss layup, all that. And then you can, you create more and more obstacles, you know, then you add a coach at the free throw line that they have to pass around or through. Then you uh, maybe um, are saying, okay, now we're going to switch them up time after time after time. So they get tired. And now instead of doing three person weave for one minute, it's three person weave, then it's side center side. And then it's three person weave again. And you got to be a great listener. You have to be able to tune into your teammate. You have to have an eye contact. And then it was a coach calling it out. And then you whisper it to your point guard and they have to communicate it and still get a certain amount of uh, perfect reps within the four and a half minutes. I mean, there's just so many things you can do to add great challenge without ever a demeaning uh, emotional response. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hey coaches, brief interruption from our podcast to hear from manscaped.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing that you can control and that's shaving your bush. You may be surprised how many coaches have already DM'd me about this special offer. I wasn't because I'm a user and manscaped.com is definitely worth it. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. 
Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Now back to the podcast. Awesome. It's a great example of constraints-led approach, obviously, in terms of that and mental skills that goes with it. So maybe maybe talk to me then about how do you as a coach now intervene when mistakes are happening? What is your process that you've learned through understanding this mental side to be able to best intervene with a player, to be able to help them learn and move on? Well, I think there's three things to say about that. One is I'm still a work in progress. I think that that's a challenge as a teacher is to look in the mirror every year and go, and that's a weakness of mine. And I've really invited my coaches um, that I have phenomenal coaches that I work with. They're way smarter than I am, but to tell me like, Hey, this is getting in the way of your teaching. And one of the things that um, I love I have a very high attention to detail. I love to teach. It energizes me. Um, And sometimes I really need to be more effective. I need to shut up a whole lot more and let them play through mistakes uh, maybe longer, and especially in five on five or, you know, competitive situations. And then, you know, look back then maybe, you know, and, and also being more concise in my feedback. Um, And, you know, so I think the second part to answer your question is, um, you got to have, you got to invite t- truth tellers around you to be able to say, Hey, this is maybe where you're not, when you're not calling out the mistake in an effective manner. And, you know, I, so I think really being concise in your teaching, um, knowing, you know, when, when are opportunities for them to call out their own mistakes, a coach Shannon on my staff, Shannon LaBeouf always says, you know, let's ask them to identify the mistakes. Let's get, make them be more solution minded. We've done that a lot this summer. I I'm so passionate and detail oriented about skill development. And this summer has really forced me to go, okay, we're going to turn that ownership back to the players and to be like, okay, you may have your driveway and no, who, who cares? There's still ways to get better. Let's not rob them of being finding their own solutions because guess what? In games, the more you have players that can find their own solutions, the more quickly they adjust. You only have so many timeouts and you want to be able to coach as little as possible in the play. You want to be have to teach players to have awareness and to have, be solution minded and to fix things before a coach has the opportunity to do it. So I think really being balanced in that, I think there's a time like in, I talked about our proficient levels of teaching, like our really fundamentals that are the baseline I'm very detail oriented to that, but I don't always have to stop and teach. Sometimes I just remove them. They don't get the chance to continue to get better if they're not taking care of something that's completely under their control. And so I'm very, I I just am like, man, you lost the chance. I gave you, I, I said, Hey, you're not getting low enough on that jump stop. I'm just using a very simple example. And then the next rep they go through and they don't correct it again. I'll go, you know what? You lost the opportunity to get better in that drill when you're ready to come in and have um, a growth mindset, then come like, come back and tell me you're ready to get back in, you know? So I'm very, very, very attentive. And there's not a lot of margin for error in distinct fundamentals that I know they know how to do. They're just not showing the mental discipline to do them correctly every time. Now there's a different side of teaching when we're in maybe more scrimmage oriented things, or maybe when there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of decisions and there's a, there's going to be a mistake on every play. And how do you choose which mistake to hold accountable to. And what, and what are those things? I think that's a little more of an art form. I don't think that's a scientific formula. I think that's a little bit more of an art form that you, you have to sort of work through with your individual team and with your staff. Um, but lastly, I would say, um, Coach Wooden used to always say, uh, the biggest form of partiality is to treat every player the same. What I tell my team is that um, the, the relationship you have with me off the court is completely up to you, but the relationship you have with me on the court is up to me. And, but it's all based on the relationship that I've, um, I've developed and what I've learned about them individually, what works well, what's their learning style, um, how, do, what's their triggers, what are their refocus routines? The more I know them, the more I know not just what buttons to push, but what habits I need to, um, to bring out in them and what communication style they are going to respond best to. 
And so I really try to tell our players, look, the standard's not going to change. The standard's going to be consistent from person to person. But the style in which we hold you accountable to that standard will vary. And that's intentional. And so I think those are three things that we really try to do in the teaching part of it. I think there's different segments and different uh, approaches to those refining of mistakes, depending on the person and depending on the environment that we're trying to teach through within any practice or any game. I hope every coach in the world listens to that coach. That That's exactly what I think is missing so much from coaching is this matter of fact, honesty and directness that you can still do that and hold people accountable, but not do it in this demeaning way in the sense that your example of just removing the player, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's your standard. You're not meeting. Like we'll be, we'll be fine. We'll be fine, but you're not meeting your standard. So you refocus and get back to your standard. That's going to help you improve and help our team win. Well, and I also think, you know, for us, it's not just about what that team and that season, it's about giving them skills uh, to, that are going to stay with them long after the ball goes flat and long after I'm around. And I think that when you, when you coach from a demeaning or fear factor, you might get quicker results and, you know, you might, um, you know, we, we tend to respond to things like that uh, as human beings, but I don't think they're any different in 10 years. And I think as soon as you're not controlling the environment, um, you know, and so I think that's the reality is you have a choice as a coach to either be transactional. So it's whatever way gets the quickest result. That's a transaction or it's transformational. And if it's transformational, I just think you're selling yourself and your players short if you're motivating by demeaning actions or by fear. Well, I'm glad you made that connection that, again, the other value of mental skills goes so beyond the basketball court and transferable to life because you deal with struggle, you deal with adversity in school, you deal with it in your work environment, you deal with it in your relationship, all these different places. So you're positioning them to be successful in life. Well, I'm positioning myself because every time it comes out of my mouth, I know I need to hear it too. So true. So true. The other part that I want to just highlight for coaches again is that you said it a little bit differently, but with my background in skill acquisition, you mentioned two things that I think are tremendous and it just, again, need to be applied more in coaching. And that's this concept of developing players as error detectors and error correctors mm-hmm. is that again, every, if every repetition you're giving them guidance or feedback, then they're never getting a chance to be able to become this, which is this process of being able to correct their own errors and which is ultimately what they have to do in a game, as you mentioned. Right. right. Yeah. And, and then the other, sorry, before you go, the other part is this solution versus absolutes mm-hmm. that you talked about. Like if we give them an absolute, then what are they going to do when that absolute doesn't give them the solution they need in a game? And I love how you phrased that and said that. And both those things are just tremendous. Well, I think that I like, I'm going to steal that, you know, uh, the error, uh, you know, awareness. So what did you, how did you say that again? Error detector, error corrector. That's our goal for players in developing them as independent performers is that they don't need us. We're obsolete. Aren't you obsolete for your best players ultimately in a game? And that's your goal. Yeah. Well, And I think coaches, you know, I'll speak for myself in my, my default mode is to be a control freak, right? and to want to control everything and to make every perfect call in a game and control the environment. That's my default mode. And I think a lot of coaches have that, you know, we, we were sort of control freaks. And, um, and so my discipline over default is that I have to learn to let go of that because what I want is for them to be error detectors, right? Their own error detectors, you know, and to be able to create those own solution, those solutions on their own. And, you know, one of the the challenges in my own, I I think one of my strengths is the passion that I bring to practice and to games, but an overused strength can become a weakness. And one of the ways that I've had to back up on that is that I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a control freak and therefore be an enabler of them looking over at me all the time or relying on me in games um, where, you know, really that, that's not helping them be their best. And if coaching is really about helping them find gears inside of them that they didn't even know they had and to help them be equipped to be, to find those solutions on their own, to be aware of what the problem is and to be able to roadmap, um, their own solutions, then I need to be able to bring passion and use that strength, but to, um, let them, uh, struggle on their own sometimes, fail on their own sometimes, but also in the end, learn to find solutions on their own. And think about in March, you know, 
when I look back at our films in our most pressurized games, when I were playing in the lead eight to go to the final four against Mississippi state and I'm evaluating that game, I never say, man, if I just had one more out of bounds play, or if I just had, you know, one more perfect call, I don't, I say, Oh, if I just had equipped the players to be able to handle that situation on their own, if I had just had, they had just had the tools to be able to react and recognize that and, and control their R, their response. You know, if they were only able to have their emotional balance in check on their own, because I couldn't control it. In the most pressurized environments, as much as I'd like to help them, it's not under my control. And if I choose the shortcut too early, I'm really not preparing them uh, for life. And I think that's so important, not just for life, but also for elite performance, you know? And I think that, uh, you know, I think it's so important for us to, as coaches, to be able to know our error, uh, have our error detectors be up and to know what our default mode is that we need to develop discipline to overcome. And therefore, we'll, I think we'll be very, much better equippers of our players to be at their best, not only for elite performance, but for uh, elite performance in life. Well, and it's important to note with that, that it's, you begin with the end in mind, like you know where you want to get them, but right. they don't start there. And I think that's often misconstrued from some of the things that I say in terms of, you know, again, like giving players freedom. No, no, no. They don't yeah. start there. They progressively get there through your interactions and your interventions. Well, and it's very common right now, right, in recruiting that um, every player wants to go, you know, I want, I want to have a lot of freedom. I want to be a freestyle. And what's your coaching philosophy or your style of play? Or what position am I going to have to play? Or what skills am I going to be able to show? Like, I want to be able to step out and I want to be able to shoot this. And I was like, awesome. I want that too. I mean, you know, the most versatile <laughs> yeah. free teams are the hardest to guard, the hardest to scout. Um, you know, that's what the WNBA is looking for. Awesome. We want the same thing. That is so great. And you are going to have as much freedom as you're willing to earn. And here's how you earn it. And here's the standard. And, you know, and I said, and I always turn it back on them and say, you know what, if you're shooting, um, if you're shooting, you know, 17% from the three point line and you come down and you shoot that shot on the first five seconds of the shot clock, um, you know, what kind of coach do you think I would be if I was like, way to go. I know you want to be versatile, you know, keep shooting that. And they always go, well, that's not smart. And we probably should have, could have gotten a better shot. And I was like, does that mean if I say to you, hey, you know, we could have gotten a better shot on that possession, you need to not shoot that shot, that I want you to never shoot that shot or be able to shoot that shot? It just means that you don't have the skill yet and you haven't earned the freedom that to have the green light in the first five seconds of the shot clock. So, you know, it doesn't mean never. It just means you haven't, you're not good enough yet. And so go earn it because in the end, what did you tell me you wanted to do? You wanted to play in the WNBA. You wanted to go to a Final Four. You want to compete for championships. Okay, well, do you see that on any of those standards? When you watch the WNBA, when you watch um, championship games, do you see anyone doing that, coming down and jacking shots of three-pointers by people who shoot 17%? And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. So let's figure out a roadmap for you to get there. You know, but, like, it's not – it doesn't have to be this argument. It doesn't have to be that hard. Um, but you know, the standards are the standards and you can have as much freedom, but in, in November, you may not have earned as much freedom as you're going to have earned in March, but, but, um, it's a trajectory and it's not, uh, we all start in the same place. You, you haven't all earned the same amount of freedom. Coach, the one thing I'll connect back on that is that when I work with young players, like one of my goals is always for them to answer this question. When I ask what position are they? that they answer basketball player. Because really that's what your what your goal is nowadays is to be the best basketball player you can be. And then it's the coach's job to figure out how to integrate you as a basketball player into team success. Totally. And I think that's the big key too, you know, right? It's team success, right? We, if you really trust and you develop relationships and they trust your heart that you have your best interest, that they have their best interest at heart, you do have more freedom and the reality as a coach to move those pieces around, but it starts with a heart choice that we're all going to put the mission of the team first. And I think that's the hardest thing. I actually just did a little thing on social media earlier this week about when ego increases, improvement decreases and vice versa. The, the more we say, you know what, this is not about me. And we, we consciously choose to lower our ego 
our growth and improvement automatically goes up. And, you know, I think that's where it starts. So if you really want to be a, I love that answer. I'm a basketball player and, and I want, and I want to contribute to the team in the best way I can period. And everything else falls under that umbrella. I want to be the best basketball player and I want to be the best teammate I can be. And so, uh, and therefore we will be the best basketball team and we'll have the most fun because we've put in those, we've kept the main thing, the main thing, and we've kept those two things paramount. That's what I ask of every player when they come in the gym that day is that the, the two things they'll get kicked out of practice for is that um, if they're not committed to, well, really three things to give their best mentally and physically to, to give to a teammate and to grow with intentionality. If they're doing those three things, they're going to be fine. But if I don't see them giving and growing, that's where I'll remove them for the day. Coach, some of those things are a little subjective in a sense, but you've defined what each of those means for your players too. So they know, for example, a no effort. Well, you're not running your wing hard or you're not going to your right. offensive rebounding position. You've given them tangible things to go with that. It's not just a subjective, oh, I feel like nobody's trying today. Right. It's never an emotional thing. It's a tactical, and it's almost, it's not just me giving them to them with specificity. It's them having ownership in that as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just did something this morning with our team expectations. I don't determine them. I have three rules. But there are several expectations of practicality that our leadership, our student leadership group do. It's the same on the court. So I don't just lay down the rules all the time. And I, I believe me, I'm ultimately responsible and I'm ultimately in charge. And they know that. But, you know, the definition of some of those things like talking within the play, that's a big indicator for me. If you're just choosing not to talk, that's a controllable thing. That's a big time teamwork thing linking together. Do not think you can be a elite basketball program that doesn't talk with purpose in between the lines. So, and it's completely controllable. So that's very defined, but I don't just say that. I'd be like, hey, what are the things? And I lead them down the path that they agree that they are willing to protect these definable things that, that are indicators if we are giving and growing. And so now we have shared ownership of the standards we've both created and agreed upon And so there's really not a lot of question. Love it. So many good things. Maybe I want to get to some quick hitters, some of the terms that you guys use. But before we get there, let's get to something for high school coaches or AAU coaches, youth coaches, whatever it may be, that don't have tremendous amount of resources. Where would you suggest they start with applying some of this mental skills, performance stuff into their practices, into their programs? Well, I would say read, uh, you know, I'd say the f- four books that have been most influential for me, The Inner Game of Tennis, which is a little bit weird, but you'll, you'll understand if you read it. It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moab. We did that as a team this summer. Chop Wood, Carry Water by Joshua Medcalf. Uh, and now I'm actually reading right now, Win in the Dark by Joshua Medcalf and Lucas uh, Jaden. But, um, you know, I would start with that. And then I would... Uh, I just would really, um, it's, it's so hard, but I, you, there's so many things you can do that resources really don't have to be a limiting factor. But I think it starts with, okay, where and how, in my philosophy, where can I choose discipline over default? How can I help my players develop refocus routines? Um, how do I um, get them to embrace the edge or embrace the hard and so that now, you know, we, we go into difficult situations with a mindset of we're going to attack this thing with an opportunity to learn and grow. You know, I think it's what is going to be your mental training philosophy. And so I think you got to first develop your own baseline and you don't need a, you don't, you don't need resources for that. You need to read and listen to podcasts and, and go, okay, this fits me. This is, it fits in well with what I want to do. And then, and then practically teach it out just like, any other part of your offense or defense. And I think, um, and then figure out, okay, how am I applying? And then if you don't have a staff, maybe it's just you and you're coaching an AU team or you're coaching a junior high team. And then it's evaluate after your practice, go, okay, how, how did that go? If I really want to increase the integration of mental skills, how did I do today? And, and if I was a five out of 10, how do I become a six out of 10 tomorrow? And then evaluate it again. And then how do I develop more and more consistency with my language I, that's another thing I would do is I would develop a glossary for your players of what, what are some language that you're going to use to start to develop a certain kind of mindset. 
and develop your own glossary, develop where, you know, like you said, start with the end in mind. What would it look like for my practices to be really, to, to integrate mental training? What would it look like at the end of the year for my team to be, uh, to have shown tremendous growth in mental conditioning and then work backwards from there? of how do I teach that? How do I define it? How do I hold it accountable? How do I reinforce it? You know? Um, and I think, you know, just like a teacher that's teaching a progression in, in math, uh, it's the same, you know, how do you build on foundational skills and how do you evaluate? How do you hold yourself accountable? How do you be ready to pivot if they're not responding in a particular way or you're not getting through to them? And I think that's what, you know, great teachers do. Absolutely. And, uh, Coach, I, I had a good chance to be able to talk to one of your assistants, Tony Noonan, who, who shared a few of the acronyms and different types of phrasing that you guys use. So if we're okay, let's just go through a few of them. Let's start with uh, BCD, blame, complain, defend. Yeah, you know, it's just, we just don't do that. I think those things are toxic. You know, I think there's one thing, there's some things you want to do that really are forward thinking. Some of them, what you want to do is what are you going to say no to? And I think if you want to be a mentally tough team, you have to have a commitment that you just don't blame, you don't complain, you don't defend. And because that's not really showing a, a growth mindset there. So that's where that comes from. So sometimes it's not about what you're saying yes to, it's about what you're willing to say no to as, an, as a coach and as an individual. And that's an example of that. Love it. DMBG, doesn't matter, get better. You know, I think in the end, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, I can tell you why, um, you know, let's say there's a problem. Let's say, you know, something that you identify either as a player or as a coach. Uh, we don't need to, we don't need to talk about it forever. We just, it doesn't matter. Uh, the mistake happened. What's it going to take to get better? And the focus is, you know, let's just get better, get better, get better. How do you make a change? You know, uh, what's the next right step you can make? And I think that the thing that it builds is a next play mentality. You know, we don't need to unpack it for 10 minutes. We don't need to dwell in that. I don't even under, need to understand the excuse. Uh, the bottom line is it doesn't matter. You just got to get better. You mentioned discipline default. And then all of these come to the R factor, which I want you to, you talked about it briefly, but let's go through the equation and give it to them because all of this feeds this response, right? Yeah, the R factor is huge. I mean, I think that I was talking to Tim Kite one day and uh, in, in he's, the, he's the author of this, uh, E plus R equals O. And, and, um, and what he said is, he goes, in the end, right, isn't that the best gift you can give one of your players is to help them in their time with you strengthen their R, which is their response. And so because events happen in life, right? Um, the, the whole point is event plus response equals outcome. If you don't like your outcome, you don't like your O, change your R. You really don't have control over the E. You know, personally, look at what's happening in our world right now. There's a lot of ease that we have no control over. And one of the things I've just been really hammering home, first of all, in my own life, because I don't believe that you can uh, do through you until it happens in you. So I want it to first happen in me first is I, I need to choose a good R in myself and uh, I need to choose to strengthen my R. And there's a lot of things. When are we going to start our season? The pandemic, uh, losing the NCAA tournament last year the racial in, um, injustices that are happening right now. I mean, fill in all of the blanks. There's a financial hardship. I mean, there's just so much going on. There are a lot of ease that we have no control over. But, the exact, the, but really, if I want to change my O, my outcome, I have no control over the E, but I can do a lot by changing my R or strengthening my R. We say in our program all the time, our goal is to strengthen your R to be stronger than any E you're ever going to have to face. And, uh, you know, the E's are going to come in life as well as in basketball. You're going to have bad calls. You're going to have missed shots. You're going to have mistakes. Nobody, it's a failure game. A great shooter usually doesn't shoot, in, at least in college, uh, above 50%. It's a failure game. You are going to fail more than, you're, than you succeed. So it's not about creating more success. It's about your response to the failures that are going to come. Not if, but when. And so that's where E plus R equals O comes into play. And really our focus is always about strengthening their R. There could be no better way to end it than on that coach. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you nailed it for this time and this era and uh, for, for on and off the court as well. And I can't thank you enough, incredible insights. And uh, I cannot encourage people enough if they don't follow you and don't follow your program to follow you on social media. Cause I think you do as well, just a tremendous job sharing uh, actionable things, not just, 
fluff, but actionable things for coaches to be able to learn. So thank you for that. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I really believe this is something that Coach Wooden said to me a lot. He said, that, um, he said, you know, just because you get more publicity or you're on TV more, it doesn't mean you're a better coach. And I think some of the best coaches are, you know, uh, junior high, high school, AAU. They're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and, and I just think, man, I love being on these kind of podcasts because we're all in this together. We're all committed to using sport to impact people in a really significant way. And we believe it's a wonderful platform. So for me, it's like, man, this is where it really matters. Like we're all doing the same thing and let's just share ideas and help each other get better. Cause I'm a work in progress. I have a lot to learn from the people that hopefully are listening to this podcast. And, uh, and we're really truly are just trying to grow our game and get better together. Thanks coach. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate review and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest, a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.